First of all, just want to say thank you for praying for me. Um, about a month ago, um, I shared with you that I went to the ER because I punctured my eardrum using a bamboo cleaner, <laughs> um, trying to clear my, clean my ear the night before my sermon. Don't tell my wife, my hearing is back. <laughs> Everything's good again. So thank you, first of all, for praying. Second of all, I may look a little bit different today. Some of you noticed that I'm now wearing glasses. So story time. About three years ago, we were sitting in a restaurant, me and my wife, and we're looking at a sign, and we're like, hey, can you read that sign? And we're, we're having a hard time, we're struggling, and we're like, oh, what's, it's hard to read. So we decide, okay, we better go see an optometrist. So we go in, and before we go in, we're like, oh, who's going to get glasses first? You know, so we start egging each other on. I'm telling Michelle, yeah, you're going to be the first one to get glasses. Like, no, you are. And we're having this friendly competition. We go in, and then we see the doctor, and as we're, like, she's doing all these different tests, and, you know, one of those tests is like, okay, what line can you read? And I'm like, so I'm reading it, and I'm like, oh, I can't read seven, but I can read six. And like, yes, I can read six. So I go down, sit down, Michelle goes up, and she's like, she reads her lines, and she comes back. I'm like, what line did you read? And she's like, oh, I only could read five. I'm like, yes, I beat you. I got six. And I'm like, you're going to get glasses first. And as we're doing this, the doctor and the people helping out, here's our conversation. And they're like, that was year one, three years ago. Then the second year, we go back. We're doing the test again. And they're like, oh, we remember you. You guys, the funny couple having this competition. Who's getting glasses first? And I'm like, yeah, so hopefully um, I'm going to win today. So go ahead and get the test. And the doctor tells me, okay, you're get, you have monovision. One of your eyes is farsighted. The other one's nearsighted. So it's like evenly, evening itself out. It's self-correcting. And I'm like, yes, I might win today. So Michelle goes in, gets her eye check, and she comes out like, oh, I got to get reading glasses. And I'm like, yeah, I'm winning. So she goes, um, she gets, you know, the frames and all that. And I'm like, yes, I, I'm loving it, right? She's picking out the frames and everything. And she's going to get glasses. I'm winning. So a couple weeks later, they call. And it's like, oh, shall we pick up your, you know, you can pick up your glasses. I'm like, shall we? I'll take you to pick up your glasses. I'm so excited. Then this, this year, I go in and she's like, oh, you know what? You're, you're farsight, your eye that's farsighted is much stronger than your nearsighted, so you're going to have glasses. I'm like, okay, reading glasses? They're like, no, you're going to have to wear it every day. Where Michelle is just like, when she reads. So I'm like, oh, I lost. Like, so congratulations, Michelle, for being the winner. Um, but that's why I have glasses on today. So we'll see how this sermon goes wearing glasses. <laughs> well, if you could, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for being with us throughout the week, Lord. We thank you for um, guiding us and helping us and um, speaking to us, Lord. We pray that today as we come before you, Lord, that you would help us in our situations as we journey through this life together, Lord. We pray that you would bring restoration and healing and hope into our lives. Speak to our hearts this morning, Lord, and make us whole as we hear your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 
So about two months ago, we were doing this I Am series, and、um, I preached on John 11. I am the resurrection and the life.、Um, and then we're going through this miracle series, and I'm looking at what's left of the seven miracles, and I'm like, oh shoot! I preached on Lazarus already, and I preached on the feeding of five thousand, which is the only two left. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go back to this sermon on Lazarus. So if you remember last time,、um, I went through the first half, and I'll just cover the second half of this story. So to summarize what happened earlier, the story starts out with Lazarus being sick, being very sick, and then Lazarus' sister sends word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Please come now. And instead of going right away. Jesus decides to wait for a couple of days, and in the process of waiting, Lazarus dies. And after he dies, then Jesus decides to go. And when they finally arrive, Lazarus has been makedai dead for four days. He's been dead for four days, and then Martha. Knowing that Jesus comes, has came, meets Jesus and said, "If you had been here, my brother would not have died." Then Jesus gives his whole spiel about, "I am the resurrection and the life." So now we're at verse twenty-eight, and we'll start from there. In chapter eleven, John chapter eleven, verses twenty-eight, and we'll go to. Forty-four. Okay. So in verse twenty-eight, it reads as this: After she said this, this is Martha. She went back to call her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to tomb, going to the tomb, to mourn. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." Same thing Martha has said. When Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews had come along with her, also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit, and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord. They replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, "See how he loved him." But some of them said, "Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying?" So in verse thirty-two, Mary makes the statement that I think we can all relate to. She says to Jesus, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." I know I can relate to the statement, and I feel exactly the same way when something goes terribly wrong. God, if you had only been here during this. This event, 
this would not have happened. If you have only been here, my, when my father-in-law was sick, he would not have died. God, if you had only been here when I was suffering through this horrific abuse, where were you? Why did you allow this to happen? Why didn't you protect me? See, I can understand how people can have such strong feelings and angst and resentment toward God. If God is a God of love, then why did he allow this dreadful, vile, revolting event to take place to me in my life? See, we may never know why this thing was allowed to happen. There are many people out there today who decide to be atheists because they're unable to reconcile this dilemma that doesn't make sense to them. Therefore, there are those out there who are angry and bitter at God. Now looking at the next verse, Jesus responds, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping. He was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? See, when the wound is fresh and the pain is unbearable, this verse might not be comforting to you. There are times where I question God. God, do you really care? Like, really, do you really care? Like, seriously. Yet our God, the God that we serve, the one that we put our trust and our faith in, he does not say, well, you know what? That's your problem. Oh, well. Tough for them. I'm God, and I I don't need to do a damn thing about this. That might be what heartless people do or what a heartless God would do. But our God, just like Jesus, gets deeply moved and feels troubled. When you are hurt and sad and angry, God empathizes with you. When you are hurt and troubled, God God feels your hurt and your trouble. God is grieved and saddened when you go through a time of grief and sadness. And then he asks the question, where have you laid him? Where have you laid your pain, your sorrow, your grief, your trauma? Where have you laid those things? Where have you laid them? Where have you laid him? Then we come to the shortest verse in the Bible. Now, if you understand how the Bible was written, there was no numbers. It was just written in black and white on a papyrus paper. And the scholars decided, let's put numbers in there so that we can reference certain verses. And scholars chose, let's take this two words, Jesus wept. And reference just that. 
You see, John's gospel has a high Christological view of who Jesus is. They put, Jesus is God. He's not seen too much as human. See, in John, he states, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So in this gospel, Jesus shows very little emotion in this gospel until chapter 11. In this gospel, Jesus doesn't get hungry or tired. Yet this Jesus wept when he sees the tomb of Lazarus. You know, I talk about my, my tradition growing up in the church, um, and I have some critiques about it that I offer to you. <laughs> but I also have some things that I'm truly grateful for about my tradition. So I'm going to give you the critique first, and then I'm going to give you what I'm grateful for. See, in my old tradition of being a Pentecostal, when it came to funerals, we made it more of a celebration than a time to mourn. We sang upbeat worship songs, we danced, and it's because we didn't have a good theology about loss and lament, which is, by the way, all over the place in the book of Psalms, and there's even a book written about it called Lamentations. See, we celebrated like there was no loss, that, oh, you know, the person died and he went to be with Jesus and we should be celebrating. But there is a loss. A family has lost someone they loved that they would never see again until the resurrection. There's a lot of hurt and pain, and God gives us this method to deal with loss and grief. So could it be that we as Christians, we don't live with the same catastrophic idea of death? Maybe we don't think about death in this matter because as Christians, we believe in life after death. But the Bible talks about death as a threat, and it's hostile toward our existence. Death is the great enemy. Death in itself is a great human dilemma. When Adam and Eve sinned, Death came into the picture. Death is the, dis the destructive consequences of the entrance of sin into humankind. See, death is the separation from God. And since the true being of God is life, death is opposed to this God of life. And this is the reason why sin and death kind of belong together. Death is the consequence and the punishment of sin. Now, let's continue on, on verse 38 to 44. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across its entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. See, in my earlier, when I was starting off as a Christian, I used to love watching TBN and um, Creflo Dollar, and he, 
he preached about this one time, and he's like, Martha, Martha, come on, girl. We're trying to do a miracle here. What do you mean he stinketh? What are you trying to do, bring us down? We're trying to do a miracle here. But there was a bad odor. He's been dead. And in verse 40, then Jesus said, I did not tell you that, or did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. The glory of God. See, glory is the visible presentation of the presence of God. Glory is when you see, when you see God do something powerful. That's the glory of God. When Jesus says, you will see the glory of God, it means be ready to see God at work. This life-giving work. And in verse 41, it continues on to read, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes. Welcome back to the living. See, if death is separation from God, and if death is opposed to who God is, this God of life, if death is the consequence and the punishment of sin, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I'm so grateful for my Pentecostal, Pentecostal tradition. You see, it's because of the Pentecostals. They were the ones that brought back to the forefront the notion of healing and miracles. I love that our tradition prays over people and touches people as a demonstration of love and concern for others. See, Richard Rohr has this quote, and he says this, healing is the opposite of punishing. Healing is the opposite of excluding. See, because when you're sick, you don't want to be around a sick person. You push them outside of the community of faith or just away from us. But when people are healed, they're welcomed back into the community. Evil was normally excluded. And if you look in the gospel, Jesus punishes no one. Jesus' healing ministry is the best argument for restorative justice. See, sometimes we may say, God, where were you? Why weren't you here at that time when I was going through this? But God is never late. God is always on time. but it's according to his time. 
See, God has this amazing way of taking our sorrows and our shattered pieces of our lives and turn it around to bring about something amazing and something beautiful and something inspiring and something life-giving. He can take those broken things, those hurtful things, and reveal his glory to us. God is an artisan. God can take those broken things and make them into something unimaginable. That's why Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. This miraculously raising of Lazarus from the dead proves that Jesus can give life and resurrect the dead and give life to those who put their trust in Jesus. What I love about Jesus is he gives us hope. See, the Christian hope is that we get to live with God. And even though we're still his creatures and we may not know everything, we have the Christian hope that we can live a life to the fullest here on earth and inevitably in the life beyond. There was this one TV show that I loved. In our time away in California, uh, we had this Hawaii Ohana, and we started watching this one TV show. And sometimes we would get together just to watch it. We would have the Chongs and the Fukumoto's and the Pax and the Nelsons and the Higashis, and we would all come together to watch this show. And they, they would, this show, they would take this family and hear their story. And sometimes they were laid off, sometimes... Um, their house was just ruined, but they're doing such a huge work in the community. And this crew would come in and gather the community and say, we're going to send you off on a vacation. And during the meantime, we're going to work on your house. So they gathered everybody from the community to work on this house while the family's away. And after a month or a week or so forth, they would bring them back home. And they're standing in front of their house, but they can't see it yet because there's this big, giant bus standing in the way. And then the host, his name is Ty, he stands there and he's like, so are you excited to see your house? And they're like, oh yeah, we don't know what to expect. Um, and he kind of like sets them up to share their story. Um, and everybody's like, their heart is going out to this family. And he's like, are you ready to see your house? And they're like, yes. And then the host cries out with the rest of the community who's been there to help build this, this house together. They shout out, move that bus. And the engine starts and the bus rolls away. And the family whose house was tattered and broken now sees this newly renovated house that's 10 times, or not exaggerating, but 10 times bigger <laughs> than the house that they first had. Everything's new. And they're shouting, they're like, oh my God, no way. You know, they're, oh, look at that, it's so amazing. And they're like crying and hugging one another and they're jumping into each other's arm. It's kind of like how God reveals his glory to us. See, There's one important verse 
where Jesus says, move the stone. Because in order for God or Jesus to bring Lazarus back to life, the people had to take away the stone in order to reveal God's glorious work. To get a glimpse of God's glory. So the question for us today is, what bus do we have to move? What stone do we have to move in our lives in order that we can experience God's glory? See, as we were going through our training to minister to one another, there was this constant thrust to say, you know, you need to get those areas in your lives healed Areas where you're insecure and broken because if you don't do that, they're going to fully come out in ministry. If you're insecure, if you have a lot of insecurities, it's going to come out in ministry and you're going to do things to get those needs met. And you're going to start to manipulate people if you don't have those areas healed. So here are some practical things we could do to hopefully Bring about healing in the areas of your lives to get help so that you may see God's glory come forth in your lives. So the first thing is get help. Open avenues for you to experience God's healing and power. So the ways you can do it is, I mean, these are just suggestions. If you're struggling with alcohol, visit an AA meeting and see what God does through that. If you're sick, see a doctor and pray about it. You know, and pray that God's hand is guiding the healing through the doctors. If you're stuck or angry or addicted or even traumatized, take a chance and see a therapist or a counselor. If you're struggling financially, Pray and visit a financial advisor. And lastly, maybe if you need direction, you know, schedule a visit to visit a spiritual director. These are just practical ways in which God just moves the stone so that God's glory can be revealed and healing can happen within the areas of your life that's in the dark places, the hidden places, things that... It's like, you know, dead in our lives. And we want to bring it back to life. We want to live in those areas. With that, let's close in prayer.